there we go. Hi everyone, it's Artie from Human Chapters. I'll explain a little bit about the Human Chapters. Humans are living narratives with the past, present and future. These narratives constitute of a number of chapters across a lifespan. The aim of these conversations is to highlight a chapter of the narrative and unpack its connections to other chapters. I don't care whether people are natural storytellers, but I truly do believe that each person has a worthy story to tell. An acknowledgement to country, we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land which now comprises Greater Shepparton. We pay respect to their tribal elders past and present and emerging. We celebrate their continuing culture and we acknowledge the memory of their ancestors. And today I am so honored and pleased to say we're talking to Sheikha and her chapter is titled Freedom in Sheikha Zuri. I'll pass on the platform to Sheikha to introduce. Go for it. Arthi, thank you so much for having me. Um, first of all, I just wanted to acknowledge you and what you're doing with Human Chapters. I absolutely love the concept um, and I'm really honored to be here to talk to you and your audience today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Shika. Tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so uh, I was born and bred in, in Nairobi, Kenya, where I currently am right now. Um, I'll just give you a very sort of brief uh, background. Um, so it will kind of segue into uh, sort of a bit of my nomadic journey and how uh, sort of Shikazuri was, was born. Um, I, so Shikazuri is, is my jewelry brand, um, but I don't come from a jewelry making uh, academic background at all. I've always been, you know, very passionate about arts and crafts. Um, but I, when I went to university, I actually did a law degree. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And um, like most sort of Indian parents, they kind of guide you on the path of like a safe uh, career or at least academic background. So I went to the UK, I did um, my undergraduate and my master's in law. Um, and then I came back to Kenya. I was just not uh, very drawn to working in the corporate world in, in the UK. But one of the areas of law that I was very interested in was environmental law. So I came back to Kenya hoping to maybe find something that I could do in that, in that field. And um, I was probably a little bit naive because I thought I could you know, walk into an organization like the United Nations and be able to land something quite sort of cushy there. And of course it doesn't happen that easily. But I, I ended up working here on, on a wildlife, a community-based wildlife conservation project. Um, I was working there for almost five years. Yeah. So I was doing that and that's where the jewelry sort of side of things started, which we'll go into more detail to um, later on. Yeah. But um, just again, just an overview on my sort of like geographical uh, movement. I went back to the UK in uh, 2009 to sort of complete my legal education. And that was, again, I wasn't missing the law, but um, I'm sure you remember back in 2008 was a big sort of financial crash and crisis. Yeah. And I think that was a big sort of wake up call to me. I was kind of getting into my later sort of twenties. And even though I didn't have, you know, um, bills or big responsibilities or rent or any of those sort of things, I thought, you know what, I need to start adulting soon and, and you know, just get a bit of a safer, you know, um, backup plan. Yeah. 
let's put, put it in that sense. So I decided to go back to the UK and just sort of complete my legal qualification. And um, I worked there for a couple of years in the legal field, but still to do with um, uh, animal welfare rights and um, environmental law. Yeah. So that was nice that I was able to do something in that field. Um, and then I met my now husband um, in, in London and we, we, he moved to, um, he got a job in Dubai. So we were in Dubai for a few years. We moved to Dubai together. Again, worked in, in the corporate world for about three years. And then after that, we, we both love traveling and we get itchy feet and we're a sort of global nomads. So we then moved to Zambia and we're in Zambia for a couple of years. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, and now in Kenya. So like I said, I've had like a little bit and in between through my work in the corporate field as well, I've worked in the, in the Middle East and you know, in other sort of countries in Europe as well. Yeah. So yeah, and like I said, a, a bit of a global nomad with lots of uh, different um, influences that have uh, come into, into my life. And I think like I said, the reason I mention this is because it does have an impact on you know, how sort of Shikazuri came about and also um, in my aesthetic that for some of the pieces that I create. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And before we um, delve into Shikazuri per se, tell me a little bit about environmental law and what sort of, why, why were you attracted to that? Um, I think, again, I've always been a, a lover of, of nature um, and the environment, and I've always loved uh, animals. And there was just something, like I said, when I was studying my sort of environmental law sort of curriculum that, you know, it, it just really resonated with me, you know, one earth where humans aren't doing a great job of sort of keeping things intact. I mean, the amount of destruction that's happened in such a short period of time is, you know, fairly monumental. So I thought, well, you know, if, if I, I, I want to do my bit in some way, and like I said, because I was studying law at that time, um, I was channeling my interests, you know, through through the legal side. And like I said, it's something that sort of resonated very deeply with me, you know, protecting you know, Mother Earth and nature. Um, and that's why, like I said, when I came back, I was hoping uh, to be able to do something, you know, here in, in Kenya in, in that field. Yeah. So it struck a chord with me. Um, like I said, working in the law itself wasn't uh, something I was very passionate about, but the whole environmental, you know, being out in nature, like, you know, how can we, you know, conserve our resources and our beautiful wildlife heritage? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, for, for future generations to come. That's something that I've, I've been very passionate about. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, now, let, tell us about how Shikazuri was born um, from, yeah, conception through to birth. So um, while uh, you asked me about sort of my work in the environmental field, I mentioned that I came back to Kenya and I started working on a wildlife and conservation project. Um, part of that entails looking after orphan animals. Mm -hmm. um, again, something that I absolutely sort of love doing and we sort of like raise and rescue them. These are often orphans as a result of like, you know, their mothers being poached or from the bushmeat trade um, or, you know, being caught up in snares. So we try to sort of rescue them, you know, raise them and then try to rehabilitate them back to the world. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, something I was very passionate about. Again, it's 
and brought me a lot of pleasure and joy, but it was a very expensive exercise as well. And uh, where I was, we also ran like a small tourist lodge to raise revenue um, to run the project, but that would also help to you know care for the orphans. Mm-hmm. But uh, as I mentioned previously, um, this is during like that sort of 2008, 2009 period when the big financial crisis happened and our bookings went down to almost zero. So our revenue just fell overnight. And I thought, okay, we've got all these orphans, we've got this project running, we still need to find, you know, alternative means of income to, you know, to help to keep, you know, the wolf away from the door and things running. So, and, and I also had time on my hands now um, because we didn't have a lot of sort of tourism coming in. And I did mention before, again, I've always been um, very creative, but I never thought ever about trying my hand at jewelry. Yeah. But, um, during this time, I'd often sort of go to like a lot of, you know, markets just around the country as we sort of travel locally, you know, to do sort of promotions and just visit other projects. Um, I'm sure you've been to a lot of these beautiful markets here, also in sort of in Nairobi, but outside. But the, the where is that these artisans sort of produce and their craft is just so beautiful. I mean, I've been, I've grown up with it, as I'm sure you have as well. But still, it's just so beautiful and inspiring to see all of that. Um, so I'd see these, you know, beautiful, you know, items of jewelry and also like these gorgeous um, beads all over from all over Africa. A lot of them come from like West Africa as well, really colorful, bright, recycled glass beads. So I thought, you know what, let me, let me try my hand at this and see, you know, see if there's something that I can, that can be a creative outlet, but also can I make jewelry and is it something that I can derive an income from? So literally that is how it started. I bought a bunch of beads. I spoke to some of the, the ladies at the market and I said, listen, you know, what do I need to do to make a necklace? And they're brilliant. They were lovely. They said, okay, well, you know, get a bit of fishing wire, you know, go to the shop, buy some clasps, da, da, da. Um, YouTube wasn't so prominent then, but fortunately we did have Google around. So I just, you know, Googled a few sort of simple tutorials and I just started making, you know, pieces and I got such a great response from, you know, friends and family and I was able to sell pieces and they're like, listen, you know what, you're, you, you might be onto something. I mean, at that point it wasn't a business. It was just something I was very inspired to do because I saw that this was a means of raising revenue that I could put back into wildlife conservation. Mm-hmm. So that's where the whole sort of idea started. Um, and then, like I said, I did go back to the UK, but even during those sort of years while I was in the UK and in Dubai and working in the corporate world, um, I would still, you know, I had my beads with me and my jewelry pieces and I'd still sell them and always channel them back into making a donation towards something that was wildlife conservation, environmental related. Um, and when we moved to Zambia and I wasn't working at that time, um, my husband was like, you know, you've always thought about doing this as a business. You know what? Maybe, maybe now's the time. You're you're not working. Uh, we didn't know how long we we're going to be there there for. So I thought, okay, well, not necessarily now or never, but this is a great opportunity for me to get my heels stuck in and let's let's try to make something of this. So that's that's actually where it sort of started off as as a business, and that was in about 2015. So I've been running as a business for just over yeah five five years. That's amazing. Um, your eyes absolutely lit up when you were talking about that first sort of experience um, or when you first started making those 
you know, uh, the jewelry with the beads. What we use that term, you know, we are inspired by it, but what did it actually mean for you when you made that first necklace? And yeah, d describe that. If you I think on a, on a very, um, I don't want to say superficial level, but on a, you know, almost like that sort of inner child comes out out of you when it sort of, you know, make something and it's like, you know, look, I, I made it, I did it. And then the fact that, you know, people who are willing to part with precious pennies to pay for it, that, you know, brought, you know, more sort of joy to me. And like I said, not from a, a monetary perspective, but just from a, a gratitude, you know, perspective that people are willing to sort of pay for this. And that, again, I could sort of, you know, um, like I said, raise, raise funds that I could channel into causes that, that I cared about. Mm -hmm. So there's that aspect, but I think as time went on and when I talk about, you know, the colors and, you know, how they're made. And again, you know, it's like recycled glass. I think it's just the amazement of what goes into, you know, creating those actual beads and components and then being able to take it a step further mm -hmm. and make it into a beautiful piece of, of adornment. Um, there's that aspect, but it's also learning about, you know, the cultures, you know, where these beads have come from and what these colors mean to them. It's, it's such a rich history, which I never knew about, but again, it lights me up because I'm still learning about, you know, what different beads mean and how they originated and, you know, what are the cultures um, that they sort of, you know, stemmed from. Yeah. Um, and it's got a lot of, you know, deep sort of cultural meaning to them. So all of that is just, it's very, um, again, I use the term inspiring, but it is very inspiring to me. Absolutely. Can you tell us about some of the beats and cultures and things that you've learned in your journey? Yeah, I think maybe one of the, I've actually got like a few sort of pieces out here that might um, actually just help to sort of kind of illustrate that. Um, and, and this is what I'm sort of, I'll take you through a couple of pieces, sure. but I think it's, this is one of the things that I also wanted to communicate through my brand. I've called Sushikazuri, my tagline is jewelry with a story, because I want to be able to communicate, you know, to my customers and clients or even just people who are just admiring these pe you know, pieces, you know, what do these pieces mean to the cultures from where the, you know, the actual components um, came from, you know, what does it mean to them, you know, different colors mean different things, different stones mean different things. I'll try to do my best at, you know, remembering sort of some of them, but I think the whole sort of um, inspiration initially, especially with the one of a kind pieces was a fusion of, uh, of cultures and style brought into, into one piece. So I'm not sure how, um, can you see um, that sort of, so I'll, I'll bring this as an example. Um, so this is like, it's, it's a snuff box pendant and it comes from South Sudan and it's got some really beautiful sort of um, wire that's inlaid into the, the pendant and it, and it opens up as well. I'll open that up. But traditionally, you know, the, the, the artisans would actually sort of, they would put like their like tobacco and stuff in there and like, you know, carry it out when they're, you know, in the, you know, in the fields or there or whatever they were doing, um, they'd carry, you know, now of course there's, there's no tobacco in there, but again, there's just beautiful old, just understanding, like learning about, you know, the history and what they'd use them for. And what I've done is I've combined them with these, like, again, recycled glass beads that come from West Africa. Mm -hmm. So again, the reason I like using them is because they, you know, they take all these bottles, um, empty bottles and they crush them up and they literally, they, 
they, they grind them into a powder and then they mix them with like kaolin clay and they fire them in a hot sort of like um, kiln to make these beautiful sort of beads. And similar sort of process, you know, with the, with the brass beads as well, they also come from West Africa and a lot of them are made using um, recycled bits of, of metals. I love the whole sort of like recycling yeah. aspect. That's probably a bit more, actually, it's not such, a, it's not a really modern technique. It's something that they have been doing for, for many, 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 you know, years. But I like to be able to use stuff that, again, that has significance, that also has like a bit of like an environmental play um, into, into that. Um, this is, again, a similar pendant that has been, that is from West Africa that has patterns sort of etched into it. I'm not sure if you can see that. But when I talk about the cultural fusion, these are beautiful um, Tibetan beads that have like turquoise sort of embedded in them. And again, what turquoise means to like the Tibetans is very different to what it you know, means in like, you know, the, the Western world. A lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of like sort of good luck properties that are imbued in these, in these stones as well. And then I've combined it with, um, it's actually African jade, but I'm sure you see here a lot about jade that comes, you know, from the Chinese, for example. Again, a lot of good luck, you know, beautiful, positive attributes that comes through the jade. And um, I'll let you just this out. And again, we've got like the the West African sort of um, recycled beads, but they've like painted these again. They each one is like sort of hand painted which I just think is absolutely sort of like phenomenal, the artisanship that's gone into them. So you know, this, this whole piece in itself is, you know, is, is a story. It's a fusion of sort of West Africa, Africa, the brass, the recycled glass, you know, the painting sort of techniques. You've got a bit of like, you know, Tibetan there as well, then the turquoise. So it's, it's not for everybody. There are, you know, quite sort of bold pieces, but I think part of like said, what I do is trying to communicate like the whole sort of like cultural symbolism and story and there is it's, it's a very sort of like niche product but for those who are inspired by by these stories um, they they absolutely love them and that just gives me so much more joy to keep them going on and producing pieces like this. Absolutely like I'm just thinking about keeping um, history alive through the culture the the color, the texture, um, mm -hmm. the reason for why they did it. It's so yes. absolutely fantastic. Wow, that's so deep. <laughs> and what inspires your designs? So I, going back to the cultural element, like I said, I'll always try to, one, I mean, Africa is very, very dear to me, you know, born and brought up in Kenya. I just love the diversity that we have on this uh, continent. So in every single piece, I will try to infuse an element of Africa in there, even if it's just like a little bead or a pendant or a stone that sort of originates from, from here. But I think when I talk about sort of um, cultural adornment and fusion, um, one thing that initially struck me is, and, and also through my tra travels, is that how we're all sort of, you know, beings from that live in this global um, village, and each one of us individually, we're not just an imprint of the place that we're born and brought up in. We're influenced by the places that we travel to, the the food that we eat. You know, I'm um, a third generation. Um, uh, you know, Indian born in 
Kenya. Um, I, you know, I went to school with sort of like um, children from all different sort of races and backgrounds. You come back home and you eat your Indian food, you go out with your friends and you might have, um, you know, pizza or something. So it's just like I said, it's every facet of your life is just a fusion of different sort of cultures that comes in from, you know, the television programs you watch, to the people that you encounter, to like the, the food you eat, the books. So again, I wanted to um, just kind of like reignite that through through the jewelry and, and, and call it like a fusion of different cultures and styles into a, a piece of adornment. So that that's a big inspiration behind the, the one of a kind pieces. Um, I do have a couple of other sort of collections. One of the other things when I moved back to Kenya that was very uh, dear to me was working closely with local artisans. Um, and that's for many different reasons. One is that we have this incredible talent at our doorsteps. And I thought, you know, why not take advantage of that? Not only does um, it meet, you know, give me the ability to sort of give them work and, and help them to um, keep their businesses growing and, and enable them to earn, earn an income. But uh, also, like I said, they, they have all these sort of beautiful techniques and you know, why, why not make use of that as well? Um, and like I said, one running theme throughout my, everything I do has always been giving back in some way, shape or form to wildlife conservation. So the, um, I'll just again, quickly sort of just take you up here, just give a bit of uh, context, but these are some pieces from a collection called like my Tembo um, collection. So Tembo means elephant. And I created a whole different collection that was inspired by the elephant. For example, that's like an elephant tail with like little tassels to mimic like the, the playfulness and uh, of, of, of the elephant's tail. And then we've got like a little sort of like, you know, uh, a tusk with, you know, beads because they have like phenomenal beading work. And then again, a play on like, you know, different facets, um, forms of the elephant, but this is using sustainable jacaranda wood. So everything is, you know, environmentally friendly um, with a whole story of, you know, don't, you know, not to wear ivory, but, you know, that you can support local artisans by, you know, using, wearing jewelry that, that they sort of create, but that's again, completely environmentally friendly, that's sustainable, um, that supports them as well. And also with the message, this is something that I learned very deeply from my work in community conservation is that, you know, you've got to look, if, if you want to look after wildlife, you've got to involve the community as, mm -hmm. as well and look after them. Because, you know, a lot of like the poaching and the bushmeat trade um goes on because I, i'm not excusing this at any level but you know because you know they um it's it's a lack of education um you know not having sort of means of generating income so if we can like divert you know their attention and resources into sort of becoming economically self-sufficient and educating them about the importance of conservation a lot of this helps to go you know towards that as well so yeah, so working with local artisans is, is something that I'm very sort of passionate um, about. And then we have like a third collection of jewelry, which is like the little jewelry charms that I'm sure you know, you've know you sort of seen on our um, social media channel. So we have like a big five in our sort of Savannah collection, which we're um, quite sort of popularly known for. But again, every single piece comes with like a little story card. So for example, this is like a little um, rhino bangle, 
but we everything comes with like a little story card so it tells you about the symbolism behind the piece but it also tells you about you know how we give back to different sort of um wildlife conservation causes and also help local artisans at the same time yeah and Shika others um so just sort of recapping the three different collections the first one was the one of a kind um piece um, collection the second one is the elephant um collection supporting yeah elephant concerts. Yes. Yeah. the third one is the savannah Yes, the wow. savannah, it's, it's a charm jewellery. Yeah. So that's really, and the aesthetic is very different. It's very sort of easy to wear um, everyday pieces. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's beautiful. And are these artisans, are they from all over in Kenya or how do you, how do you find them and yeah, start working with them or building those relationships? Um, that's a great question. Um, it's, it's been a, a long journey, needless to say, even though, again, yeah, so the artisans that we use for our Timber collection, they, they are all from here. Um, mm -hmm. They come from uh, Kibera slums mm -hmm. and um, Rongai as well. Yep. Uh, so initially what I did was, again, when I would go to the markets, like the Maasai markets to source my beads, and I would see um, different artisans there who had their um, jewelry on display that used um, techniques that I sort of envisaged incorporating into my collections, I would just speak to them and say, listen, I have this, you know, design. Do you think that you can, you know, reproduce this for me? And it, uh, that's literally how it began, was just working with different individuals that way, a lot of trial and error. But one thing I love about Kenyans is that they're so, they really want to please and they will try and try and they'll do take one, all the way up to take 10. Uh, I mean, they'll do as many takes as you you allow them to, to do. So they're incredibly resilient and they're so proud of their, their work as well. Um, and yeah, many of them are very, very talented. So that's how I got to know um, a lot of the, the artisans that I work with. Mm -hmm. But I also work um, down the line, I met another jewelry, a local jewelry designer who also sort of works quite closely with, she's got a much uh, wider network of artisans that she, she works with. And she's the one who introduced me to a lot of them who work, you know, in, in the slums as well. Mm -hmm. And again, I love the fact that, you know, we're sort of, opening up our sort of manufacturing network and able to support a lot more people. So yeah, it's a lot of networking and a lot of trial and error. That's yeah. amazing. And from, from their experience, what has it been like for them working with jewelry designers? Have you, yeah, received any feedback or I think um, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people like me, there's a lot, also a lot of international companies like, you know, who, who do come and outsource their manufacturing to Kenya. And like I said, there's, Kenya is, is quite sort of popular for, you know, especially like their brass jewelry, um, using a lot of recycled materials, like I've used like um, recycled for the Jack Randwood. A lot of people use like, you know, the recycled sort of horn, like sort of cow horn yeah. um, as well as jewelry. Um, you know, I, I don't use that, but again, it's, it's, it's just a great way of like sort of recycling and upcycling sort of materials that are sort of locally available. Yeah. So I don't think um, it wasn't an unusual experience, let's say, for, for them because they do work, like I said, there's, I know quite a few, um, you know, big international companies that do um, get, get a lot of their 
products that are that are made out here. And it's not only jewelry. I mean, there's they they do a, a very wide sort of variety of sort of arts and crafts. But I guess when it comes down to translating your specific vision, like I was so specific with the elephant collection because I wanted to make sure that you know again each piece um, had a story behind it, and you know that. Like I said, with the tassel tail necklace, like the playfulness of the elephant tail mm -hmm. and like the little organic texture. I didn't want it all bright and shiny. I said, you know, this is something that's meant to sort of like mimic and inspire you about the elephant. So it also involves me going out to like, you know, the, the national parks and just spending days with elephants mm -hmm. and taking pictures and sketching. And then again, putting that onto paper and then going and working with them yeah. and translating into an actual product that's amazing because that was going to be one of my next question is how long does it take for the different pieces um yeah from start to finish the tembo collection probably took me <laughs> um six to eight months but on the other hand, again, I, I you know, I am a, a it's, it's a one-man show. If I had like a team who was, you know, where I'd, where I'd ask people to sort of go out to the field and um, laser the different artisans, and that might be a different scenario here. It's just, it's, it's me, um, you know, doing all this. So yes, yeah, so I have a team of people that I work with in terms of like the artisans, but in terms of running, you know, Shikazuri and the business side of things, yeah. um, it's just me. So I get maybe it took a little bit longer um, in, in that respect. Sure. Uh, but it was probably a good sort of six to eight months. And then even then when you get a product done and you think, right, this is, you know, this is it. You get sort of five pieces made and then you start to wear them or leave them outside. And then you have to see how different, you know, metals might react to different sort of conditions. Um, mm -hmm. We've tried to sort of gold plate some things um, or not plate them. We had, this is a really interesting piece that we did so it's like a it's a choker and it's like the tusk on the one side and then it's a trunk on the other yeah. now this piece again i wanted to incorporate a lot of this like a lot of organic texture of like the trunk that you might see and then i wanted the smoothness of the tusk so this component from there to there is actually a piece of again um recycled jacaranda wood mm -hmm. and i love like the contrast so we got a bunch of these made um and then they started sort of breaking off like you know when you apply pressure so even when you tell a client I mean it's quite strong and sturdy I mean I'm applying a lot of pressure but you know as as a client you'll just sort of you might pull it apart to put yeah. it down your neck and you know you can like do little sort of like diagrams and designs to say no you know slip it on gently and you know only open it from like the brass part but I'm not blaming clients I mean I because I know jewelry I know how to handle jewelry but if somebody you know, gave me a, a bag or something else. I might just sort of like, you know, thrust it open the zip without thinking twice and the zip might come off. So this is what was happening with these pieces. So then we had to sort of, you know, this took like a lot of modification that, you know, how can we make this more steady or replace it with something else? So do we just do it all metal, but then texturize this? So it's, it's a lot of it is, is trial and, and error, just getting things, getting things right. Um, yeah, but when you have a vision and you want to execute, you'll you'll do what it takes. <laughs> Absolutely, and the passion and love that goes into it. Wow, I don't. Yeah, that's just phenomenal. Um, and I love that piece is probably one of my favorite pieces from your oh. collection. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and um, 
with in terms of sourcing materials you said recycling and upcycling how difficult or easy is it to get here in Kenya it, it tends to this is one of the things that attracted me to sort of uh, the manufacturing industry over here is that um, they're very enterprising about you know using materials that they can then like recycle or upcycle problem is again there might be like a quality issue so again like you might you might think that something is just like recycled brass but you know once they sort of get bits of brass and melt it down to then produce jewelry there might be other metals mixed in so then you can notice like you know more tarnishing sort of coming up in, you know into the actual sort of metal so um i think that a involves uh again trial and error b working with different sort of artisans and sort of and really communicating you know like you know what your expectations are because there might be you know i try to position myself as you know as a mid to sort of higher sort of level um brand i don't want to i don't my price points aren't there aren't sort of like messiah market price points no. so if i'm going to be charging that sort of price one i know i need to deliver a certain quality so it means that maybe I might have to like, you know, spend a lot of money in product development and, you know, reject quite a few pieces and also go through a lot of different artisans and see who is actually going through the diligent process of like really being discerning as to what, um, you know, metals they use. Yeah. But like I said, that is one of the things that I'm, you know, I'm very fortunate to have here in, in Kenya is that a lot of these artisans are very experienced. And I think availability of materials is there. Yeah. Um, conversely though like with the charm jewelry like the little sort of small animal charms that is something that I have tried to get made here and mm. we don't have the manufacture or I've not yet found the manufacturing capability for something like that mm. and that is something again like the so I use sort of brass but it's gold plated and silver plated and that has to be you know very very good sort of quality brass not tainted by anything in the plating has to be you know very pure to ensure that we don't have sort of tarnishing issues and also the finesse within which you know a lot of these things are sort of cut out so this is like you know a leopard for example so the leopard oh. pendant so I get this um, manufactured in, in India. Um, like I said, I, I would love to be able to do it here if I can, but until I can, I, I get it done there. Um, again, we know that they have the they have the technology and the machinery to mm. be able to, to make these charms, um, but it also enables me to produce them at a more affordable sort of price point as well. So they're a really good um, gift item that people buy when they come and they go on safari or they want to take something back home, but also for like a lot of locals, they, they sort of love, you know, buying the stuff. So I've tried to position it where, you know, I have like different products at different sort of price points accessible to, you know, different markets as well. Absolutely. Gosh, I'm just listening to you thinking the amount of work that goes on behind the scenes and from that start to finish point and as a consumer I'd come in and just see the finished product right and just and like it would might be deep but I wouldn't otherwise know what sort of yeah work goes on behind it yeah you're you're absolutely right I mean and it's nice I'm I'm, I'm so grateful to you to have you know, an appreciation of that. Um, when I told you that I've been doing this for five years, when I look now, I mean, it, it feels like I'm only just getting started or it's like, okay, fine. I've now fine-tuned that or, okay, I've just not happy with this manufacturer. And when I look back, I think I started that process in like 2018 or something. I mean, even for the charm jewelry, I've gone through about four different manufacturers. It's not just been the 
one person and then you know, boom, it's a smooth sailing um, ship. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of trial and, and error. Um, and yeah, you, you know, we find customer feedback, you know, invaluable. Sometimes, you know, you do send a piece of jewelry out that, you know, that they're not happy with, or, you know, that might, you know, on, on the surface, when you look at it, and when it comes in, I inspect every single piece. Wow. And I might think, fine but you know maybe you know it, it does tarnish like a lot you know sooner than it should like in a place of jewelry will tarnish over time but it shouldn't tarnish like you know within only a couple of weeks so um you know you also really have to learn as you go down the road you know you've got to be very sort of humble and I always say you know what customer sort of comes first mm-hmm. and you sort of bolster up your sort of customer service um you know um, uh, directives as well yeah absolutely and you know um before you were talking about connection points and your influences um from every thing that you do and experience in life and that's what influences you but you've managed to do to have the connection point in india but in kenya throughout africa as well that is so beautiful and do you get a chance to collaborate with people overseas what does what does your collaboration point look like uh yeah so like I said when it comes to doing collaborations um obviously you want to do it sort of like like like-minded uh individuals and I'm never sort of closed off as to you know um I'm not, I tend not to do, uh, be close off about, you know, what product it is. So I might even collaborate with somebody on jewelry because there's so many, there's so much, such a broad aesthetic of, of jewelry out there. Um, what I do ensure is that we have the same vision and um, similar sort of principles as well. And like I said, something that's at my core is do they, uh, you know, again, do they have the same sort of philanthropic sort of attitude as well? You know, are they motivated about sort of giving back or supporting local? Um, and obviously looking at a sort of similar sort of customer base. So some of the really um, successful collaborations that I've recently had the privilege of is with um, Mia Cora, who I know is a, a brand that you've um, you brought Priya on from Mia Cora a few months ago. So I've been working with Priya for a couple of uh, years. And again, I didn't know Priya uh, until, yeah, literally when we started working together two years ago, we were introduced by a mutual friend who knew both of our products and knew that we we're both passionate about wildlife conservation mm-hmm. and who introduced us and said, listen, you know, you, there might be something, some kind of synergy there. And when Priya and I met, you know, we sort of hit it off. And I think, again, Primarily, that was because we had very, very, even though it's very different products, so Priya does beautiful wildlife-inspired um, scarves, and she's also branching out into different accessories. Yes, that you're wearing as well. Um, so yeah, that, that's been a really great collaboration. Um, so Priya um, hosts exhibitions here in Kenya um, at least once a year, and she works with different artists as well. Not only sort of um, artists who um, produce sort of wildlife inspired work, but a lot of them are. And well, when she was doing her, um, I think it was her 2018 or 19 session, I've lost track of time now. <laughs> um, she brought, she's again, very sort of generous. She's, you know, we said, you know, let's find a way to, to work together. So she brought me on board and with her sort of scars, we, you know, paired up um, our like little elephant bangles and different sort of wildlife charms to sort of complement the scarves. 
and go with the sort of paintings as well. So we started off with a couple of those and then, you know, moving forward, like I said, there's, there's been a like sort of great sort of synergy and, you know, she's very sort of supportive of, of my work there. The, the products complement each other very well. Um, so I try to sort of support, you know, her um, here in, in Kenya, just as she sort of supports my stuff in, in the UK as well. So that's been a great collaboration, but um, like I said, going back to the whole sort of wildlife conservation um, theme, whenever she does sort of come out and we are um, planning an exhibition, we will always try to identify a cause to which we can um, channel, you know, uh, some a percentage of the profits that we generate from the exhibition towards. So we will make an effort to go and visit like, you know, the causes that we're looking at and to vet them and see what those projects are doing on the ground. And um, in the past year, we've brought on, when we're talking about collaborations, uh, a mother-daughter luxury travel company that's recently been established in, in Kenya, who are again, very sort of, you know, like-minded, um, are very inspired to give back to sort of wildlife conservation and support properties that do that too. So we had planned a great exhibition last year. Unfortunately, COVID happened, but it's still in the pipeline and we're hoping to be able to um, run it this year as well. But last year, this, well, the three entities, sort of Shikazuri, Miyakura, and then the mother-daughter travel company is called Anasa Luxury. We um, went to the Alpajeta um, Conservancy together to have a look at you know, their work and what they're doing and you know, the phenomenal work that they're doing towards the preservation of the Northern white rhino sort of species as well. So that at least when we go out there and we're telling people that, you know what, we're, we're doing this and we're channeling a percentage of funds you know, towards its cause. Um, I think people have like sort of more confidence in the fact that you know we are raising funds for a legitimate cause and channeling it to to the right place as well. So those are the kind of collaborations that we that that I try to um, engage in. Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating um, mm. because someone who again doesn't know a lot about business or um, collaborations and how they happen and. And I can imagine that in itself is quite difficult because you want to pick the right person for it. Um, yeah, that again, so much goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. <laughs> for that yeah. And what is the vision for Shikazuri? Uh, so the vision is at the moment, like I said, we're doing, uh, we've been in the Kenyan market for, like I said, ever since we started, since about 2015. Yeah. Um, I did have a UK registered company as well. And I was, uh, again, up until early last year, um, traveling to the US and doing sort of trade shows uh, over there. Um, I've had like really, really great feedback from the US, particularly with the, the one of a kind pieces and um, anything with like the African beads yes. uh, and, and, and artisan made jewelry. They're very, very receptive to, towards that. So that was a market that I, you know, had started to really kind of dive, dive into. Um, and like I said, just, you know, share those stories, spread them around, around the world and, you know, the, the Shikazuri vision. So um, my, my vision and mission is to grow it um, internationally. Um, like the, the US, it's, it's, not the, it's not an easy market, but it's such a broad market. So again, it requires quite a bit of trial and error when you do trade shows, find the right sort of places um, to, you know, 
to ensure that you're getting your ideal sort of clientele who are going to resonate with with your work. Um, so from growing the business um, on, on into international markets, that's that is on the on the agenda. Hopefully, uh, in the next in the coming months, or hopefully at least in the next sort of year or so, travel will be a little bit easier in that respect. With, with jewelry, it's a bit challenging. You can do stuff online, but it's very tactile. People want to see and touch and feel. So with, with the charm jewelry, it's a little bit easier because it's, it's quite sort of simple and minimalist and you can take photographs of people sort of wearing wearing it. But with the one of the clients, like I said, even though the US is a great market, they still, they, they want to see the pieces. And that's where going personally and doing these shows um, really helps. So hopefully we'll be able to resume and get back onto the road and do that from, let's say, next year onwards. That's right. Um, yeah, and I think, uh, like I said, the the collaboration that we've been doing, you know, with uh, Mia Koran and NASA have been like, you know, really, really successful. And we collectively have also been looking at other places within Africa and also internationally where we can take um, our exhibition. So our exhibitions come under the banner of frame it or wear it. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you could resonate, you know, with the scarf as well. You've seen like the piece of artwork in the frame and then the beautiful scarves. And it's the same thing that, you know, we're trying to do with the jewelry, because again, this is a, it's a piece of art and history in itself, you know, where it's something that you can sort of frame and put on the wall and have the little sort of story underneath. And then, you know, when you want to go out and wear it, you sort of wear it. So it's a piece of wearable art and it's a great con conversation sort of starter. So, yeah, so we're hoping to take frame it and wear it, um, you know, internationally. Yeah. And that is something, like I said, we'll be uh, more uh, able to plan in, in the coming sort of year or so. Yes. Let me know when you're in Australia. I would love oh, to visit. Definitely on the cards. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how has COVID or how ha has COVID been for you? In terms of impact business-wise, yeah. Um, yeah, it has had it has had a tremendous impact. Like I said, not only uh, in terms of not being able to travel internationally and do um, sort of trade shows, mm. uh, prior to COVID, like majority of my business, I would say about 85% of it was wholesale. Yeah. Um, so even here in Kenya, like my most popular line, my bread and butter of the business was the charm jewelry line yeah. because I was able to sell it to a lot of the hotels and lodges. Um, and it's like I said, it's a very easy price point, you know, that that willingly stock it. So that was, like I said, that was my bread and butter because the, the one of a kind pieces, that's my creative passion yeah. that, you know, that they don't sell very fast or much sort of higher price points. Um, again, it's only me sort of churning them out. So I can't, you know, churn up, you know, multiples of them. Yeah. It's really interesting that, yeah, that that takes a lot of sort of time. So, um, yeah, so COVID did has impacted that significantly, um, obviously, because there's been, you know, very little if, if yeah, um, tourism coming into the into the country. Yeah. But I think one big lesson about COVID is that it just and I think many, many, many people can will be able to relate is that uh, it's made, uh, you know, me and I'm sure us collectively very sort of resilient and yeah. us the power of just adapting and pivoting so I took a lot of my business online and started to be a lot more active on sort of social media um, and sell that way and again it's great lessons to me because I can see okay what what does move you know selling on an online platform and, and what doesn't um, yeah and just literally sort of channeling majority of my resources in that direction now but being very optimistic 
you know, about the future that, you know, I still want to hold my vision for the three different lines. Mm. Um, I think after a five year period, I've got a better concept of where each line sits in different markets. And yeah, and I hope to be able to, to grow them um, with the vision that I initially had. Oh, that's beautiful. And the other thing I've been curious about is the name, the name mm-hmm. of the business. Why that name? What does it mean? And yeah, tell us a bit about it. So Shika, obviously my name. Yeah. Um, Shika itself in Hindi, it means peak or tip of the flame. Oh. And, yeah. And in Swahili, it means to catch or to hold. Yeah. And then Zuri means beautiful in Swahili. So I I wanted to, you know, like I said, I, I am the person behind the brand. I wanted like my name to be infused in there, but I I like the fact that it did have like a duality of meaning in different cultures. Yeah. And as I said to you, initially what just started off the whole business was the one of a kind pieces, which I do call like in a, a fusion of cultures and styles into a single piece of, of adornment. So Combining Sheik and Zuri was a means for me to be able to sort of combine like, you know, the different cultures, you know, my background as well, you know, being born and brought up here, I wanted to bring a bit of the Swahili sort of aspect into it. Yeah. And yeah, when you translate it, it's like, you know, to hold something, you know, uh, of beauty. And when you bring the Indian, the Hindi meaning into it, it's almost like timeless or endless beauty, because these are pieces that I envisage that, you know, when somebody buys that they will, you know, Um, carry their own story and they'll be passed down from generations and generations and you know grandma will tell mom something and mom will tell their daughter something different about this piece and yeah it just you know it has that whole sort of like you know meaning that's um that's infused within it so yeah that's that's where I came up with the name jewelry with a story and more a generational story an extension of that wow And it just rolls off the tongue so beautifully. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Um, Now, has there been anything that I haven't touched on or a question I haven't asked that something you've wanted to say? Uh, I can't think of um, anything specifically. I mean, I'm, let me ask you a question. In terms of your audience, like, are they... um, I'm sure it's it's a mixed bag of sort of people who are, you know, maybe in business or looking to get into business or just people who are, again, who want to, who are inspired by people's stories. They might not necessarily be, you know, entrepreneurs themselves. They might have their own sort of stories, but is there a particular kind of audience that you want me to maybe like sort of speak to? That's a good question. I'm not sure because it's, it's a general audience and yeah. I suppose my reason or aim for human chapters is really connecting with people listening to their stories learning from them um yeah but actually if there is something business related that someone someone who is in business would like to know about is there anything you'd like to tell them I'm I'm actually just sort of now thinking of maybe like a message that I can sort of get across to whether it's you know business or even sort of personal life but I just think from my own journey um whether it is business or whether it's you know motherhood or whatever it is I think one big thing that I've learned is you know really um live with intention like 
identify, and I'm, I am going to speak a little bit in business terms, but identify what your vision or mission is. Mm -hmm. And like I said, that can, you can even translate that to, you know, personal areas of, of your life and really just be very true to that. And, you know, when you do have, um, whether it's opportunities that are coming to you or circumstances or when it, uh, when it means creating a product, mm. always come back to that core vision, mission, intention, and, and ask yourself, you know, does this resonate with me? Am I aligning myself or my decision with what my initial purpose, you know, is? And that, that can obviously um, adapt. Like I said, you know, a situation like COVID has had to make a lot of us adapt. And there's no reason why that you know can't happen. Things will always evolve and change. But I think just always asking yourself, and I think it comes back to again, living with intention, being meaningful. And I think that just leads to a more meaningful and intentional um, and fulfilling life. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. um, it just got me thinking about sort of values and principles, right? Like whether it's in business or whether it's um, for yourself. Uh, and we each one of us has that but how do you identify yeah what is what are the strong values and principles for the um, business, business or when yeah like both because I'm thinking about the connect between the two right personal yeah. and business yeah how do you um again for me personally I like I said what are the two facets that have always been, you know, we talked right at the beginning of this whole sort of story, you were asking me about, you know, how I got interested in, you know, environmental law, environmental issues. And I, and I said that, you know, mother nature, you know, wildlife, animals, conservation has always been sort of, you know, very, very dear to me. Mm. So that's, that's one pillar that I, I think it's like creating like sort of different pillars. I'm using that as an, as an example. Um, of how I infuse that not only into my business but also into my everyday life you know mm -hmm. this is what I feel very sort of strongly about and and is what I'm doing you know every, every day and every decision that I make does does that you know serve that sort of that that pillar yeah. um like I said on the you know the on the other hand it's also you know you know people and humans and you know how can we do better to sort of support each other um and to, you know, whether it's like a collaboration or just being, again, intentional about when you're out there and you're buying a product, you know, does this resonate with my values? Yeah. So I think it's going to be different to different people, yeah. um, which is absolutely fine. And like, so when we're just talking about, you know, the product or service industry, there's so much out there that serves, you know, that will serve everybody. So just being true to yourself, identifying, you know, what it is that gives me purpose and mm -hmm. connection and then aligning yourself to that in the decisions that, that you make. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Um, and I suppose that takes me to uh, wrap up questions is what would a utopic world look like for you? Ooh. <laughs> that's a very big, bold question. Um, again, I'm, I'm going to this is not a cop out, but I think I'm going to come back to what I've just been talking about is I think just everybody just being more mindful and intentional, because I think when you do that, you, you make sort of more um, purposeful sort of decisions. And I think that will inevitably have 
a positive impact on every you know person that you um, encounter, because when you're living purposefully, you know you're 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 living according to your purpose and, and you're being and you're radiating that positivity out, and that is inevitably going to have like a, a positive impact on you know on people that you live with, people that you encounter on a daily basis, on on society. So yeah, it's just just a very sort of simple message um, that that's. I think that would have a tremendous impact. That's beautiful. And I suppose the other question which you have actually answered uh, was um, three to five key takeaways. And I think you covered it with live with intention and meaning, have a vision and mission for your personal life. I think also just, again, going back to some of the lessons from COVID, um, you know, we I think we we tend to be a bit obsessed about, especially in the Western world, about sort of, planning and decision making and you know when this happens then I'll do that da, da, da. um like I said I think the last year has just been a big eye-opener that you know what just you know just do it if something resonates with you if it feels good to you um just do it I'm not telling people to like jump in and start their their businesses overnight you know I, I often get asked that question about you know what sort of advice I, I'd give um you know you 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 obviously have to sort of be mindful about your own individual, then maybe your family sort of circumstances. If you've got a bit of sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly not easy. Like I said, it's taken me five years to get to where I am and I still feel like, okay, fine. Now I can get started or now I know what direction I'm going on. It takes a lot of perseverance. So have that courage and have that perseverance. Go for it. Um, obviously evaluate your circumstances and you can start small. Don't don't be afraid to start small and just, you know, baby steps every day. And um, also, again, uh, when we go back to sort of living, you know, having your own intention or establishing what are those pillars for yourself. Yeah. Just I know it's I know it's tough in today's age, but try not to compare yourself to, to other people because mm. everybody has their own set of circumstances. Of resources behind them. Um, if you know somebody is, you know, if, if somebody's looking at me and thinking, oh, you know what, you know, uh, you know, uh, it's going to take me ten years to get together, whatever. It, it doesn't matter if it's something that you know that you feel that you know you want to do and, and go for. Do it and don't don't compare yourself. Don't judge yourself against um, other people. It's it's your own journey. Yeah. And that in itself is the intent, isn't it? Because it's so easy to judge yourself, to compare yourself. And in fact, that's something that comes more naturally to not do it. Um, mm -hmm. Given yes. social media, given what we're being exposed to on a daily basis to then go, no, I can't judge myself for it. That takes a lot more effort and intent. Um, yeah. yeah. No. And you're 100% right. And it's, and that is why, again, if, 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 if I can get that message out, I really would like to sort of emphasize on that because I know with, there's so much influence out there, uh, you know, social media being, uh, I'm seeing the primary culprit, but there's also some, you know, really great stuff from social media. It's, you know, just filtering the, the good from the, from the bad and um, knowing that, you know, if you get triggered by stuff like that, then maybe don't follow some people or uh, just be very intentional again about, you know, who you are sort of following, you know, follow people that are inspirational to you, but just, you know, know and trust that this is your own journey. Um, yeah. And, and, and make it personal to you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Shika, for such a beautiful conversation. Um, I know I've taken 
tons from it. And just, yeah, appreciating your jewelry, your your artisan um, ship, if that's a word even, <laughs> I'm not sure. But yeah, absolutely, yeah, appreciating your creativity and contribution to the world. Thank You're so you. well. Thank you so much for, for giving me this opportunity to share and also for your appreciation. It means so much. And also for what you're doing, you know, sharing our stories with, yeah, with the world, essentially. So thank you as well, Ardi. You're very welcome. And guys, if you, um, after you've watched this, if it resonates with you, please feel free to share the conversation with your friends, family. Um, as I've said before, you never know what, how people are going to connect with the stories and conversations and thank you to everyone who's going to listen to this all right